Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Always do that. The waiting is finally over. For us, anyway, we're so excited to get to Riyadh, and we are finally here. It is the capital of Saudi Arabia. It's also the venue uh, for the finish line of the sixth stage of the 2020 Dakar Rally, and uh, also the venue for the rest day, which is tomorrow, although it's actually today because that's when you'll be listening to it. And actually, it is today because it's past midnight already. Bloody hell. Um, okay, welcome once again to Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media, special Dakar Rally edition in association with Toyota Gazoo Racing. I'm joined by my esteemed colleagues. Uh, you've heard them throughout the week. We've got Mr. Danny Chen from Toyota Gazoo Racing. Uh, Toyota Europe uh, making his way over from Belgium, but he is South African, born in Taiwan. He's a man for all seasons. And uh, we've also got our Dutch colleague, Born in South Africa, raised in South Africa, but uh, yeah, he's got some Dutch bloodline along the way. Boldy van der Waal. How are you, gents? Good, 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 good. It's been a long day, and uh, but it's great. It's this city wearing Riyadh. It's just something special, isn't it? It really is. I'd heard many things. Uh, I didn't quite expect what, uh, what welcomed us. We had been to Jeddah. That was a pretty big city. But as we com- keep on saying, Boldy, it's almost like a village in comparison to where we are now. Riyadh, the third biggest city in the Arabian world, I think. Uh, The biggest in the Arabian Peninsula and modern, fantastic. Some of the architecture remind me of places like Valencia. It really is right up there with the best of them. An amazing place to drive into today. We've got to throw out the trivia because, as everyone knows, we are trivia hounds. And during these long liaisons uh, between the stages and the cities, uh, we play trivia nonstop within the, in the car. And uh, you went and did a, a bit of research with regards to the Arab world and what other big cities are, are bigger than uh, Riyadh. And, and they are only two. Uh, Cairo and Baghdad, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, those are the two. So... Uh, Congratulations, Riyadh. You, you cracked the top five, but uh, haven't been to the... Well, I've been to Cairo, but uh, in terms of beauty, uh, you'd definitely be number one on my list as uh, far as the Arab world is concerned. And uh, the world, in fact, uh, right up there. A beautiful place. But uh, I digress. It's been another challenging day for competitors at uh, the Dakar Rally. And Voldu, just uh, having a look back, it was pretty much 100% sand today for, for competitors. And... Unfortunately for Toyota Gazoo Racing, unfortunately more so for Nasser Alatia and Mathieu Bommel losing more time uh, against uh, Carlos Sainz. Well, when the organizers said it was going to be 100% sand, it got all of our hopes up. Obviously, our cars are built for that four-wheel drive. They, they thrive on dunes and our crews love a technical challenge. Turns out that uh, the sand was um, a, quite a lot of fast sand rather than the slow dunes that we were hoping for. Some small dunes to cross in the middle of the stage, but but nothing that really allowed the Toyotas to come to the fore. And uh, top speed-wise, the, the two-wheel drive buggies do have the advantage. So on a fast, flat-out stage, like most of this one was, we were always in for hiding. It was interesting chatting to the drivers and navigators immediately after the stage because they caught us unawares by the speed that they came through because we expected them to get to the bivouac at around 5-ish. Um, they pulled through at around quarter past four, I think it was. It was pretty quick. And they even admitted that out in the dunes, the pace 
was so fast that, that it even caught them by surprise. And there's a, a comment about it being too easy, and that's not necessarily disrespecting the race organizers, but um, the likes of Janiel Mathieu were saying that they wished it was more challenging, especially for, for the opposition. Absolutely. You th- the thing is that we need to make up time somewhere. And when it's just a, f- a fast, flat-out chase across the desert, there's no time to be made up. As soon as there's a technical challenge or dunes or waypoints that are more difficult to track down, then, you know, it becomes a more level playing field. Then navigation plays a bigger role. And uh, the type of terrain types that you have to navigate also makes a big difference to the various types of vehicles. So, you know, that, that changes the game a little bit in our favor, possibly. And, and a flat-out charge like today... You know, it takes, takes the fun out of it as well. Uh, in terms of the weather, um, it seems to be a bit hotter, Danny, compared to where we were. And that being said, we missed out on snow by, by two days uh, from uh, a previous, previous destination that we're at. Yes, I think uh, <clears throat> we've seen on the social media today uh, from the organizers, snow, 10 centimeters of snow in Neom. We just came from there a day ago. Camel run, walking in the snow. Uh, Amazing. I've absolutely loved this country. I, I know we keep on saying it over and over and over, but I don't think we ever expected it to be this cold. We were told it is winter. I know, Valdi, you do a lot of homework when it comes to uh, your Dakar preparation, so I reckon you would have been fully prepared. Uh, I wait, certainly can I, wasn't. Can I say something here? Yeah. Um, Wado, you, you say Wado does a lot of homework. Yeah. At the time when we were looking for, for team uniforms, <laughs> he said to me, no, you don't, need a, you don't need a body warmer, you don't need a, a soft shell. And I said, we do. It's a desert. At night, it gets cold. And guess what? <laughs> guess what? I wish I'd brought the soft shell. <laughs> <laughs> I was this close to coming without a jacket. I promise you. I thought, uh, I mean, I've been to plenty of Dakars, obviously all in South America, and they've all been boiling, boiling hot, uh, give or take one or two odd nights. And yeah, I'm very glad I did. But that being said, though, um, we managed to get some very nice merchandise uh, merchandise today at the Bivouac, and it's been very rarely seen. In fact, it's the first time we've seen a merchandise t- uh, tent at this year's Dakar. And as soon as we saw it, Voldu, we had to go and uh, do some shopping. I have to tell everyone a quick story about uh, my hat. I bought a, a quite an hour famous hat a couple of years ago in a Dakar, and I wore it at the Toyota 1000 Desert Race um, in the South African Championship. And uh, Xavier Gavori, who was then the uh, competitors' relation director for Dakar, was on the event with us. And he had a look at this hat with the Dakar logo, and he said to me, why do you buy a hat from the, the illegal vendors outside? I said, no, no, this is a proper hat. I bought it from, you know, from one of your merchandising stalls. And he looked at me and he said, why is the quality so shit? <laughs> so I, I'm glad to report that the quality has increased ex- exponentially this year. It, it really looks like absolutely fantastic stuff. And it was very nice to see the merchandising at last. We're going to get to the results again shortly. But, yeah, we've got to talk about the, the shopping that was done today. Uh, you yourself, Danny, managed to, to uh, purchase some stuff? Uh, only a cap in the end, because um, the, the, the hoodie that I wanted um, they ran out of stock already by the time we went in there. Did I beat you to it? Because we went on and bought for all the media crew. Sorry, my apologies. <laughs> yeah, I think you came back with like, eight bags. <laughs> Good shopping trip, hey? That was a, a very fruitful experience. Uh, came back with very nice jacket. I'm thoroughly uh, impressed with uh, what they managed to give us. But uh, yeah, just touching on the race again. So 
Nassau Latia uh, coming in third uh, today, uh, but he is still second overall. But uh, I think it's almost eight minutes adrift of sights. Yeah, he, today he lost three minutes 22 to the stage winner, which was Stefan Peter Hansel. But bear in mind that uh, Nassau suffered a puncture mid-stage, and he reckons he lost about a minute and a half. So after 3.22, take a minute and a half off of that. You know, it was quite a tight race. Um, like you say, he's still in second place overall, seven minutes 48 seconds adrift. Okay, and uh, in second place overall, as far as Toyota Gazoo racing is concerned, uh, certainly not second place on the log, so to speak. Uh, that is Janiel de Villiers and Alex Harrow uh, in seventh spot, Valdu? Uh, yes, they're in seventh spot, uh, 55 minutes uh, off the lead at the moment, which is disappointing for them, and they were very disappointed with today's stage, losing another 10 minutes, 48 seconds. Um, you know, they... they said they pushed really hard but in the end if you look at the log here today they came through in the eighth fastest time only and and lost a bundle of time to the leaders well it was pretty much flat out from the from the word go today um very very fast stage um with some dune crossings in between um you know just we again lost some time today uh, you know just uh, i don't know how uh, the front guys are doing those uh, those times uh, because um, you know the risk we have to take to do those times is just too much um, you know even today we had a couple of moments already and uh, you know i don't know what we we'll have a look and see what we can do but uh, at the moment it's a little bit frustrating to be so far off the the front pace um, but anyway you know at least we still here yeah, still uh, one week to go and uh, We'll keep our chins up and uh, keep on fighting. And uh, today was expected to be 100% sand, uh, where the Hilux would come into its own. Was that the case with the terrain? Yeah, unfortunately it was a bit fast, you know, so it is, it's definitely terrain that suited the buggies, uh, because their top speed is much higher, being two-wheel drive. Um, so, uh, you know, the stage was quite easy. Uh, the dune, dune crossings were quite easy, and um, in between it was just very, very fast. I mean, I think... I was probably full throttle for more than one hour today. And uh, finally, excited about the rest day? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good point to reach the rest day. Um, at least we're here, halfway here. And uh, now the second week's coming, there's going to be more sand and dunes. Hopefully it's a bit more difficult than today because today was just too fast and easy. But uh, yeah, you, you know, if you reach the rest day, you've uh, achieved something. So uh, let's um, try and do a, a good second week now. One week into the Saudi Arabian Dakar, uh, what have you made uh, of the new venue? No, so far it's been great. You know, it's been uh, it's been great to race here. It's uh, you know the people have been very friendly. Um, the stages have been great. Uh, scenery has been beautiful. So, you know, nothing wrong. Yeah, massive thank you to everyone involved in Saudi Arabia being hosts of the 2020 Dakar. We have loved every single second, uh, as have the drivers, as you've heard. Well, well not every second, drivers, um, some more than others. But, uh, yeah, Janiel de Villiers, uh, very disappointed with himself uh, following today's result. Uh, but he does maintain seventh place overall, just ahead of his teammate and uh, a man from uh, your heritage, uh, from the Netherlands, Bernard Tinbrinker, Valdu. Yeah, the Flying Dutchman, 1 hour, 12 minutes, 58 seconds off the lead at the moment. He would have been disappointed with that if you'd uh, told him 
uh, before the start of the race that at the midpoint he'd be that far behind. But he was quite pleased with his performance today. Nine minutes, 37 seconds off the pace in the end. But he, he's over the flu that he struggled with over the last two stages. Also, the um, the car, he said, was much better now than it's been before. You know, he said the team did a lot of work to it, changed the suspension setup. They lowered the rear end of the car a little bit. And all of that worked together to give him just a little bit more confidence in the car. And he was able to attack a little bit. It was great to speak to him today because we heard from him over the last couple of days. We played his interview yesterday and he sounded terrible. Uh, Thankfully, he has recovered. Uh, Danny, I see you chuckling in in the corner there. I mean, man, uh, it's the worst voice we've heard in a a long time uh, other than uh, your colleague Ben's uh, from two or three days ago. (laughs) Uh, Our vehicle, uh, four of us in the car, uh, Ben was the first one to go go down. Uh, our editor uh, and cameraman Andrew, second, and I think our driver Mario is uh, on his way. I am trying very, very, very hard to avoid all of that. I have all my aircon vents pointing at my face, <laughs> blowing all the air away from me. <laughs> R- rumor has it that you wear a mask in the car as well, or is that just a rumor? Oh, that's a rumor. Yes, I think it's being exaggerated. The mask is still in my in my bag. As for <laughs> so you do have one. <laughs> I have two, <laughs> just in case. There's an image doing the rounds a couple of days ago on social media from a, a couple of people on an airplane. And they had taken the eye masks that you get given on a flight, and they thought they were masks, and they wore it over their faces, over their masks. Would, I mean, why not? Yeah, that that, that works. Uh, so I mean, if the situation calls for it, and you lose both of your masks, then uh, you can take out your eye mask and yes. get one of those. As I well. have two of those. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Well, then you are sorted. Makes sense. You've got two eyes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's ten to mid- ten to one in the morning. morning yeah. Um. So well done for being the last man standing. Firstly, from your colleagues in terms of being awake, <laughs> and also from actually being healthy. Uh, let's hope that you can maintain oh, that for the next pl- week. Please don't jinx me. <laughs> I have to. I have to triple dose my Corinza C this this evening. <laughs> we we've been talking about it, Valdu, off air about how what a toll this takes in your body covering the Dakar Rally, and whether you're working on it, whether you're competing on it. Uh, it's two weeks of intense, um, of an intense adventure, and it flies by. And 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 you summed it up perfectly because. It's a snowball effect. It starts off slowly and then it just speeds up. And then the next thing you know, it's over. It's suddenly finished. It really is. The the, the rest day is um, midway through the race. But for us as crew, it's actually beyond that because we arrived quite a few days before the start of the race. So, you know, mentally, the, the rest day is a, is a sort of a Rubicon that we cross. Once you're on the other side, it's just downhill and then suddenly the race ends. But the reality is that we are actually beyond halfway and our bodies show it more than our, our minds do. You know, it's the lack of sleep, I think, more than anything else. Um, and then proper nutrition is hard to come by, not because the food isn't good in Saudi, it certainly is, but, you know, we're always on the go, and we grab and, and eat whatever we can, whenever we can. Well, you're a Dakar veteran. Uh, what number is this again? I know we covered it earlier, but... This is number nine is for me. Number nine, uh, I'm the other way around. This is number six, and this is your very first one. Absolutely. So, Volder and I are very used to what we have been going through over the last couple of weeks. That being said, though, this is Saudi Arabia. So, as beautiful 
as South America was. Saudi Arabia is on a different level in terms of comfort, in terms of luxury, in terms of transport, because the roads are magnificent. Um, we speed along at around 120 k's. We never have an issue. It's a very different affair over in the likes of Bolivia, where the national speed limit on the highways is 80. So, yeah, you having a Dakar light, I won't lie. But that being said, it's still quite tough. Yes, it's 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 tough, but um, I have to say the uh, the scenery, the people, the welcoming atmosphere here really makes up for it. Uh, we haven't had any difficulties really so far, and that's really really nice. Uh, I again, what do what do told me before coming here? That's gonna be tough. You know, you need to get ready, psyched up for it. Mm, so far, okay. Well, uh, we've got the empty quarter up next week, so we'll see what that brings. Yeah, yeah. So I, I agree, but. Um, I have to say, I haven't, I haven't slept in the car very much. My, uh, my ill colleagues in the back have passed out quite a lot. So have you, Derek? I've uh, <laughs> seen yeah. you pass out quite Look, easily. Look, I'm renowned for, for passing out in the car. To, to be fair, we do work quite late at night, my, my colleagues and I. Myself, well, in our carts, myself, Voldu, Hannes and Ray. Um, and I bank it all during the day when we're in the uh, car. Hannes see, is always in charge of driving. That's not fair because uh, oh, it's completely fair. I, I don't sleep at all in the car because I'm afraid if I sleep, Mario might uh, might get drowsy. <laughs> so I'll keep on talking to him. And then I get the complaint from Ben that I speak too much. I think if you if you listen to the podcast, you'll realize Ben is the one who's doing all the speaking a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, I can easily, easily believe that. But now we've got a, a great drive in, Hannes. So he's... One of the best out there, if mm-hmm. not the best, and, and we couldn't be in safer hands. So I'm not Absolutely. worried about that. Um, but I am worried about people taking photos of me while I sleep <laughs> without my knowledge. And, and that's exactly what happened the other day. Ray and I were passed out in the back. It looked like we were sleeping on each other. Yep. And uh, the next thing I see this photo pop up of the two of us. So I figured it was one of these two in terms of Valdu <laughs> or Hannes. And that wasn't the case. It was nope. uh, it a was sneaky me. man to my left. Yes, I think we went for a petrol stop. And uh, I was busy working, actually, on my laptop. And then someone said, look at those two. Walked out. Oh, it was hilarious. That's sight. Had to take a picture. Hey, at least I didn't post it on social media. So I uh, some respect there. Yeah, true. <laughs> that, that, that was my doing. Remember the, the very early days, Valdu, when we were covering a, a Dakar together for the first time? Um, yeah, I don't think you ever saw me awake during the day. Not at all. Um, we left a trail of destruction behind us as well as you nicked one pillow from a hotel after the other. <laughs> Maybe that's why the Dakar's not welcome in South America anymore. <laughs> it's all down to Derek stealing pillows. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we're breaking away once again. Let, let's wrap up the racing before, before we say goodbyes. Uh, Fernando Alonso, arguably the drive of the day, Valdu, as far as Toyota Gazoo Racing is concerned. Yeah, the, the Spanish superstar really put everything together today. He had a, a puncture-free run for a change. Uh, he was very complimentary about Marcoma's ability to read the lines in the dunes. And all of that conspired to leave him uh, in sixth place on the stage today. And he lost only 7 minutes, 56 seconds. And when we say lost, it, it, you know, it really, he can't really lose anything at this point. He's... he's uh, further back in the general classification than he would have liked to have been at this point. But, you know, he's, he's showing his steel as a driver, his, his willingness to learn, and, and it's all coming to the fore now. And, I mean, losing 7.56 to someone like Stefan Peterhansel is simply astounding, and especially if you consider that the stage was 477 kilometers. But I think, uh, didn't Fernando uh, make up two more spaces in the um, overall standings today as well? That he did. His uh, general classification, he's closing in on the top 10 again. He, um, he's currently in 16th position, uh, three hours, 18 minutes behind. But this is one of those Dakars where the gaps are really, really big. 
You know, in South America, we often saw the gaps were quite close within the top five, top ten even were within minutes, sometimes, you know, half an hour or an hour maximum apart. So, yeah, the the, the gaps are opening up very, very quickly. If you look at the top ten are separated by two hours, 40 minutes. You know, so that's that's quite a spread already, and we're only at the midpoint of the race. So it could be five hours separating the top ten by the time we get back to Riyadh in a week's time. I hate using the words if because if your aunt at ball should be your uncle, but a big if is that if we didn't have stage two, Fernando Alonso would be, what, within an hour of the leaders? Uh, he lost a good two and a bit uh, losing that wheel. Yeah, he two. would have, looking at the results here, would have been up between seventh and ninth position somewhere that places him right between uh, Janil and Bernard and Brinke, you know? Which is great for someone, a rookie in Dakar. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's incredible. I mean, I was chatting to Glenn Hall yesterday. We we played that podcast uh, yesterday afternoon. Incredibly insightful from the team principal. And for those that listened to it, he was speaking about what Sorrel Fanamava had to say about Fernando Alonso. And he was of the opinion that this is the, the greatest driver that's ever lived. And, and Glenn was shocked. And he said, <laughs> you know, you're obviously exaggerating. And Sorrel said, no, I reckon this guy... Put him behind a wheel of anything and he'll perform. And again, a lot of people were of the opinion maybe at the beginning that this was perhaps a publicity stunt. One week into the Dakar and uh, yeah, they're being proved very, very wrong. Yeah, and I think um, having someone, uh, the, the legendary status of uh, Mark Comer sitting next to him who knows Dakar, he's done it, he's won it, he knows what he's doing, especially in this kind of format. Even though he's moving from bike to car to navigator, He's still good. And, and I think today, at the end of the, the stage, uh, you spoke to him, Derek, and uh, Fernando said, Mark is just great. His experience, his extensive experience in this kind of terrain helped him through. And uh, that's why they were so fast. We were on, In the car, we didn't see much of a stage today, but we're in the car following the times, and we just saw these times come through, and it's just incredible. You know, I mean, last time we chatted, we spoke about the Fernando Alonso story and how that came about, but we didn't really touch too much on the Mark Coma story because, as you mentioned, a very, very celebrated co-driver, uh, if not one of the most celebrated mm-hmm. co-drivers you could possibly have sitting next to you and, and the perfect man to help one ease into their very first Dakar. How did that come about? So that's, that's a decision that came from, uh, from the team, so Glenn Hall. Uh, as, as, a, as it turns out, uh, as we can see now, it was absolutely the correct decision to choose Mark. And Mark, Mark was, um, he, sa- he spoke to me a, a few months ago and he said, you know, the call came through and I just can't, I just couldn't give it up because this is one of those things, if you give up, you will regret. Even for someone like him, having won Dakar five times on the bike, the FIM World Championship uh, six times uh, in his career. And he was Dakar Rally Director for what, two years? I think so. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's done everything. He's seen it all. But even even him, when, he's, when he gets the call saying, Fernando wants you to be a, uh, his navigator, I can't give, a, give it up. I have to do it. So he did it. And, and in the last two months, we've heard some, um, some well-known names in this industry who, who, who said Mark might not be the right choice. But I think today, very clearly, he showed that he is the right choice for us. Do you think he enjoys the fact that he is flying under the radar a lot, Volu, given the fact that he is co-driving with uh, 
one of the most famous names in, in sport. I think initially he it might have rankled him just a little bit. You know, he's used to the limelight himself. He he's the guy that was always on the stage with his hands in the air and the ticket tape parades and everything. And now all of a sudden, you know, he's like you say in Fernando's shadow. But I think he's he's starting to understand, you know, what the benefits of that is to him as a person as well. He's he's got much more freedom than he used to have. Um, in terms of, of just having time to himself and being able to avoid the media and that sort of thing. It's not the scrum around him that he's used to, but I think he's settling into that role very, very quickly. Well, this was Fernando. What he had to say immediately after getting into the bivouac after another very good day uh, out in the Dakar. Uh, today was, was another good stage for us. Uh, we, we had no issues today, uh, no punctures, no nothing, good visibility. And uh, yeah, we could uh, get into a good rhythm again. And uh, in the dunes, Mark was, uh, you know, especially good today in the dunes because uh, he can read quite well the the lines. And uh, yeah, thanks to to everything, I think we did uh, a good performance, top six again. And uh, yeah, we arrived to the rest day with good confidence. Yeah, in the bivouac, as you can hear. It uh, certainly wasn't a quiet place, um, but a lot of work to be done on the cars, but not too much. And uh, that will allow the Mackies uh, to have an actual rest day tomorrow if they get all their work done. I mean, they were very happy the fact that all four cars came in pretty early today. Uh, it's a rest day for the drivers and navs, but certainly not, not the mechanics and engineers. Yeah, it's something we wanted to touch on just a little bit earlier as well. The cars technically have not missed a beat this entire um, first week of the Dakar Rally, which is almost unheard of. And it really goes with uh, you know, the tougher uh, image of the Toyota Hilux and, and Toyota building ever better cars. Danny, is that correct? Absolutely. You know, so you know, it, it really shows the, the reliability of the vehicles. You know, the, the only little mishap that there was was the one gearbox that, uh, that uh, Bernard and Brinker had some issues with. And like he said himself, it was a mischief from his side. You know, so... It's absolutely fantastic to have all four cars at the rest day in good nick. And that, like you say, it means that the mechanics have a much easier time. But when we say easier, it doesn't mean easy. Um, it really is still a full rebuild of the cars. Everything gets taken apart, cleaned, checked, uh, then put back together again. Everything that needs to be replaced gets replaced. Remember, we have a full schedule for each car and each system gets checked. And then certain parts just have a, a limited lifespan and they need to be replaced regardless of where we are. Um, the rest day is a good opportunity to do all of that. And then, you know, everything gets back, put back together. The mechanics this evening worked um, until 8 o'clock. That was um, the curfew for them. Then they had to go to bed so they can get up rested tomorrow and, um, and do everything exactly right. Because you can't just keep on pushing. When you're tired, you make mistakes. And the last thing we can afford at this point is for a little spanner error to creep in. And it happens very easily. So Glenn is managing the team Absolutely perfectly. Get them to bed early, get them a good night's rest, and then put the cars back together when they're rested tomorrow um, so that we can take on the last week um, in good shape. Um, no reason to expect anything to go wrong. These guys are all old hands, and they've proven time and again that they know what they're doing. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's their plan for tomorrow is put everything back together again. Something else that must come into the equation is the weather. We spoke about how cold it was in Neom uh, today, and luckily we, we left there two days ago, and, and while we are able to go back to hotels and, and get into the comfort of our, our warm beds, the mechanics don't have that luxury because they eat, live, sleep, do everything at the bivouac. And I mean, imagine being surrounded by snow, having to fix the Hilux while you're at it. Well, they've had to do it literally lying in the water in South America. 
They, they, in the South African Championship, most of the guys work there, so they see a lot of different weather conditions, and I'm, I'm sure they're used to it, but it wouldn't be their first choice, would it, to work in the snow? No, absolutely not. I think uh, the idea, I haven't stayed in the tent yet at this, this rally, so I can't... Go prepare I can't. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that can't like be no coming. more. <laughs> but yeah, I just can't imagine that. It's, um, it's tough for these guys, and I have so much respect. These, these guys are heroes. Yeah, they're going to be working throughout the night tonight or trying to, to, to get those cars in, in as best shape as possible so they can actually have some form of, of a rest day tomorrow, I'm sure. Uh, as will we. I mean, we, we're going to enjoy a, a bit of time off before we get stuck straight back into it uh, when racing resumes on Sunday. Uh, a little bit about Stage 7, Voldu. Do you... Uh have that in fact at the moment. <laughs> yeah. uh, he looks up at me with a closed laptop, my phone <laughs> off, waiting to go to okay, bed, uh, saying, tell me about stage seven. Should I jump in and help you? Please do. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the uh, the next stage is the longest stage in the in the rally. It yeah, is. Correct, so we yeah. go from rest day straight into the longest possible stage. And I don't think the terrain will be any easier. I think it's very sandy, no? Yeah, absolutely. Expecting more and more sand. One of the things that we were hoping is, you know, soft sand, because if it's warm, obviously the sand is softer. The overnight cool temperatures means that the sand is compacted more, or it clings together for a, for a firmer surface early in the mornings. And that will probably count against us ever so slightly. So uh, we're hoping for warmer weather to come. Remember, this is the second year that a Dakar rally is only taking place in one country. Last year it was in Peru. But because Peru is not the biggest of countries, uh, they did a loop. So the drivers pretty much got to experience exactly what they had uh, during the first half back again when they did the return back to the capital, Lima. I don't think people realize just how big Saudi Arabia is. And that's not going to be the Can case. Can I jump in with some trivia? Yes. Uh, <laughs> 2.2 million square kilometers and to put that into perspective south africa is 1.2 million square kilometers so it's a, a million square kilometers or almost twice the size of south africa is a lot fewer people here as well i think we're at seven million no that was just in the city um but the the population density is only 15 people per square kilometer which is extremely low and um the empty quarter lies in wait for us and it's not called the empty quarter for nothing and the empty quarters spans something like 650,000 square kilometers. That's just, that's impossible to imagine. I can't wait to see it. Uh, you say it's not called it for nothing. I mean, are, are we going into this vast, great area of emptiness? Well, absolutely. Um, Danny and I have been speaking to some people uh, about accommodation that we're still looking for in one of the spots. <laughs> and some of the Tenting. very knowledgeable local people, when we said to them that we need something to stay in, in Wadi Adawasiris, it's called, I think, they right. said, um, well, there's nothing there. Yep. Uh, yeah, the, the next uh, round of accommodation is going to be interesting. But, uh, Voldu, you've arranged uh, all of our accommodation uh, coming uh, to this first half of the rally, and, and thank you very much. Uh, I mean, I could probably name the five hotels that we've been in in my top ten of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful, and uh, good facilities. Uh, yeah, great, great rooms, good beds, happy. I'm glad you like them because it's the end of them. <laughs> Oh, well, on that note, uh, let's go and enjoy our, our comfy bed because it looks as if it's going to be the last time we'll be enjoying one for a while. Uh, get that sleeping bag out, Danny. You're Absolutely. going to be using it for the next week or two. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks very much, gents. Uh, it's been great as we wrap this up, heading into Saturday, uh, which is the rest day at uh, Dakar 2020, before we hit the road again uh, on Sunday for Stage 7.
Adios. Uh, we'll chat then. Steve Wong. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game. Brought to you by Radar Media. 